Well, if you have your Bibles, be finding the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk. I know you may not be familiar with the book of Habakkuk. You'll find, if you're having trouble finding it, it comes right after the book of Nahum. So there you go. Should be able to turn right to it now. My key text in the book of Habakkuk is chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Habakkuk says in verse 1, I'm going to take my stand on the watch post, Habakkuk 2.1, and station myself on the tower to see what he will say to me, what I will answer. So the Lord spoke to him, verse 2, Habakkuk 2, verse 2, and said, write this vision down, make it plain, so that the one who reads it may run, may hurry and tell people. The vision waits till an appointed time. It hastens to the end. It won't lie to you. If it seems slow, just wait. It will come and not delay. And here it is, verse 4. The one whose soul is puffed up with pride It's not upright within him, but the righteous or the just shall live by faith. So that's that's the message. That's the theme of Habakkuk. The problem here and the reason that Habakkuk got alone with God uh, to hear what God would say to him is you have to go back 600 years before Christ and you'll find that uh, Israel has deteriorated morally and spiritually. She's turned to idols. The days of David are long gone and Solomon and his wisdom and the expansion of the kingdom, those, those days are over. Those were two or three hundred years earlier. Now Israel is in trouble. Back up to chapter 1 and look at chapter 1 of Habakkuk verse 2. How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry, and that the Hebrew word cry there is very strong. It's almost like scream. There's violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and look idly on at wrong? Verse 3, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. In verse 4, the law is paralyzed. So he's dealing with unanswered prayer. Here is a nation that is spiraling downward, reverting to idolatry. And He's crying out to God to do something about the destruction of his nation and the immoralities everywhere. And God just seems idle. 
And in verse 4, the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. It's like the justice system is broken down. It'd be kind of like saying the police can arrest them and bring them before the judge, but then they get out before the sun goes down. Not that we would understand that, but you get the idea. So here, he's seeing unanswered prayer, violence in the streets, a judicial system that doesn't work. And God says, here's my solution. Here's what I'm doing. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Be uh, Wonder and be astonished. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. And what is God doing? Verse 6. He says, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Now that, that would be the Babylonians, which is modern day uh, Iraq. And they're going to come down. They're going to march through the earth, verse 6, and seize dwellings not their own. <laughs> Habakkuk's like, what does that have to do with us? You're raising up this foreign army to do what? To, to come in and take over the land of Israel, which they did, by the way. The, the Babylonians or Chaldeans, another word for it. Remember, Daniel is in Babylon. Ezekiel is in Babylon. And um, so Habakkuk doesn't understand that. Does, can God raise up one nation to chastise another? He does right here. And we see uh, the news simply reports what one nation is doing. We think of uh, Russia and Ukraine right now. But uh, do you know China has a two million man army? That's 700,000 more soldiers than what the United States has. And there's a book out called The Chief Witness. Uh, it's by a Chinese woman who, was, who rose up the ranks and is a government official. And uh, but she fell out of favor with the higher-ups and they arrested her. She was in one of the concentration camps, 1,200 concentration camps in China. A lot of them are political prisoners. But she escaped to Sweden and wrote this book warning the West. And she says China, with documentation, she says China has two goals one, to annex the surrounding countries, countries around China. And number two, to either assimilate or annihilate the United States. Now, could God raise up China to chastise America? And he said, I'm, I'm doing a work you wouldn't believe it if I told you. In verse 5. I'm raising up that bitter nation. They're going to seize dwellings that are not theirs. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearful. Their justice and dignity are of themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and 
more fierce than evening wolves. So here is what the problem, it's like Habakkuk says, well, that's an even bigger problem. I thought the problem was our, the corruption of our nation, but, he's, but now he sees that another problem is the emerging of a global empire, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. So in chapter 2, Habakkuk says, I've got to get along with God. I, gotta, I need God to speak to my heart and tell me what to do. You have an inward corruption and an outward enemy and it seems like the future has been absolutely removed. So in chapter 2, he takes his stand in a watchtower. Every city had like a watchtower where they would climb up and keep an eye out for invaders. And he got up there and he got alone and God spoke to him. And he said, here's what I want you to write down. This is for the future as well as for you. Here's the message. When the, na- when the nation seems to be disintegrating on the inside and foreign armies are starting to invade on the outside, here's the message, Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. That was his, that was his summary Trust me, keep looking to me, keep praying to me, believe in what I'm doing, that I know what I'm doing, that I haven't relinquished the world to the forces of darkness, that I am the sovereign God of all. Live by faith. Now, let me say a word about the Hebrew word live here. The just shall live or the righteous shall live by faith. The Hebrew word is kaya. And it's used in the Old Testament. It means more than just live. You know, you can live in a hospital bed, but this word is more than that. It's used in Genesis 45, 27, where Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve and save, kaya, your lives by a great deliverance. The word save is the same word used here, live. The righteous shall be saved. You will be preserved. You will be spared. The same word is used in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2 when he says, in the midst of the years revive. There's the word, kaya, again. To revive, flourish, save. So it means more than existence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live through it. No, it's I'm going to be saved. I'm going to flourish. I'm going to prosper in the middle of poverty. I'm going to be revived in the middle of a cemetery. That's the idea here. The righteous shall live, be saved, flourish, be revived through faith in me. Then God spells out, beginning in verse 6, 
five woes, W-O-E. You see it, for for example, verse six is a woe. Verse nine is a woe. Verse 12, woe. Verse 15 is a woe. And verse 19 is a woe. And I was looking at these and I thought, I'd like to just walk through these real quick. Because here's what God is saying to Habakkuk. You think I'm idle? That I'm detached? I am bringing a woe, which is like a judgment, on these five groups. Doesn't matter if it's Israel or Babylon, whoever it is. Here are five woes going out into all the earth. Now, what is a woe? Well, you might remember in Luke 22, verse 22, that Jesus said, the Son of Man goes as God has determined for him. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Who was that? Judas. Jesus said, Woe to him who betrays me. What is that? It's a curse. It's a judgment. Your life is over no matter what you do. And what happened to Judas? He ended up going out and hanging himself. He committed suicide because despair had enveloped him. Jesus said, woe to that man. Judas is an example of what happens when a woe comes upon you. So there are five woes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give these to you quickly, hopefully, that come out against the nations. Number one, verse six. Shall we not take up the tone against him with scoffing and riddles and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Now, what what woe is that? That's the thief. He heaps up what is not his own. Uh, When I read that, I thought of of those pictures on the news you see sometimes where people break into a grocery store or they break into a jewelry store and, and they, like one guy, heaped up. He had his arms full of stuff. Walk in, heap it up in his arms and walk out. You know what God says? Woe to him. He's not going to prosper. He's not going to do well. God has assigned a judgment upon his life. Can't do it. Number two, look at verse nine for a second woe. Verse nine, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. Be safe from the reach of harm. In other words, he does evil. He says, woe to him who does evil to get gain for his house to be secure for his dynasty. He wants a dynasty to be secure, to be safe from the reach of harm. Verse 10, but you have devised shame for your house. In other words, they are, this is... uh, different from the first woe because this is more big time. 
very ambitious. Uh, you know who I thought of here is uh, a man years, some years ago named Bernie Madoff. Does anybody remember him? He cheated like thousands of people out of over $60 billion. And the reason I remember him because his last name is Madoff. I thought, you probably shouldn't invest with somebody named Madoff <laughs> because he made off with $60 billion. How do you even think about money like that? To, to build his nest on high. And notice what it says. Verse 10. You have devised shame for your house. Instead of making his household secure, he brought shame. And look at verse 11. The stones will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork will respond. In other words, the very house will disintegrate. And, you know, that was about 15 years ago. He had two sons. One son committed suicide three or four years later after because he was arrested, given 150 years. He died in jail. His son committed suicide. He had a second son who died of cancer in his 40s. And I, when I was preaching that this morning, somebody sent me this text. And it says... Uh, Bernie Madoff's sister and husband dead in possible murder-suicide. That was last night. See what it says? Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. You will devise shame for your house. You have forfeited your life. The stones of your house will cry out to the walls and the beams and the woodwork. It will all say curse. Judgment. The third woe you find in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. And what I thought about there was the sin of abortion. If you took money out of the abortion business you wouldn't have many abortions because they do it for money. I've talked to people who actually worked with the doctors who performed abortions and they said it ultimately they couldn't handle it. It made them sick. The blood that was on the doctor's hands because you get $700, maybe 1000 per abortion from taxpayer government funded abortions and you can do eight of those in a day that's eight grand. That's tempting. But woe to those who build their town with blood and found their city on iniquity. Then verse 13 is another, a fourth woe. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink in order to gaze on their nakedness. I mean, I, using alcohol for immorality. That's in, that's in verse 
15. And God says, there's a woe on that. Or you, I think you could put there drugs as well. And then a fifth woe is in verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. That is, idols instead of God. And it, it's not just idolatry, it includes that, but it is turning to idols for comfort in the midst of a crisis. That's what you have in verse 19. These five woes. Now what God says to Habakkuk is, you're crying out and praying. You think I'm idle? You think I'm detached? You need to live by faith in me. You need to put trust in me. Because I am sending out woes and judgments and curses upon these people. And, and look at the last verse, verse 20 of chapter 2. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In other words, Habakkuk, hush. You don't know what you're talking about. You're crying, screaming out to me. You need to be quiet. I'm a just God and they will. There is judgment going out. You should be praying they don't get it because these are woes and they are awful. And so he said, Habakkuk, you need to be quiet. The Lord's in his holy temple working out his plan, sending forth his judgments. So it's not time to be yelling at God, but worshiping, making sure that you're among God's people. Now, how does Habakkuk respond? This is chapter 3. If the problem is laid out in chapter 1, the solution of living by faith is chapter 2. Then the response of Habakkuk is in chapter 3. So let's look at the response. And there's a threefold response, and I'll just give you these uh, quickly this morning, but I want you to get the outline of Habakkuk as a whole. In chapter 3, first, in verse 1 and 2, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shagonath, maybe that's a guitar or something that you accompany singing. He said, I, O Lord, I've heard your report, and your work, O Lord, I revere. In the midst of the years, revive it, He's talking about God's merciful work. Revive it in the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So verse 1 and 2 gives you his first response. When a nation is dissolving in corruption and there's threats from foreign armies, number one, pray for revival. That's what he, in wrath, O God, remember mercy. When churches are in apathy and preachers are in apostasy and the world is in anarchy, pray for revival. For God to remember mercy in the midst of wrath, to step in and undo. See, what it takes Satan a thousand years to fix, to do, to prepare, God can undo it in one weekend by revival. 
by sending his powerful Holy Spirit and reviving us. Remember what he did with Paul? I mean, Satan spent 30 years preparing Paul to be a vessel of wrath. And God undid that in one weekend. Saved him and had him preaching the following Sunday in Acts chapter 9. That must be very frustrating to the devil. <laughs> you know, it takes him forever to get going on something. And then God can just step in and undo it. So we pray, oh God... Bring revival to this nation. Bring revival to our churches. Bring revival to our preachers and our families. The second thing is from verses 3 through 16. Now I had to ponder this one a little. But what he does in verses 3 to 16, he reviews the history of Israel. For example, in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, His splendor covered the heavens. And when you read Deuteronomy and how God came down on Mount Sinai, it describes Him as coming from Teman and from Mount Paran. That would be like, uh, and it says His splendor covered the heavens. That would be like from Bay City to Flint, Michigan. That's how widespread the splendor of God covered Mount Sinai when he came down. It was like lightning covering this vast expanse. And he came down and he covered the heavens and his earth was full of praise. Angels and, and Moses went up into the middle of it. So he mentions Mount Sinai if you'll look at verse 8, it looks like he's talking about the crossing the Red Sea because he says, your wrath was against the rivers and your indignation against the sea. Verse 9, you stripped the sheath from your bow, called for many arrows, and split the earth with rivers. It seems like that's a, re a reference. His wrath came out against the sea. When, the sea. when people were coming out of Egypt in the Exodus, and they came up against the sea. God was like angry with the sea for being there. And he just slapped it apart. And then they walked across on dry ground. And then notice verse 11 and 12. The sun and moon, in chapter 3 verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in place. And the light of your arrows as they sped the flash of your spear. And you march through the earth in fury and thresh the nations in anger. That seems to be a reference to Joshua. The earth and the moon standing still, or the sun and the moon standing still. Remember that in Joshua 9? In order for Joshua to finish the battle, he, he asked God to make the sun stand still. So what he's doing in, in uh, verse 3 to 16, he's reviewing the history of God's interventions so the second thing I would say, not only pray for revival, but know your Bible. Because see, facing the corruption of the nation, facing the invasion of foreign armies, you got to remember, God reached in and brought a million people out of Egyptian bondage. God fed them with manna in the wilderness for 40 years. 
God gave Joshua victory by making the entire universe stop in its tracks. God gave Gideon victory with 300 soldiers when there were tens of thousands of Midianites. God gave David victory over Goliath that was five times his size. God can do these mighty things when you know your Bible. You face these things. You think about these things. The news reports these things. You've got to go back to the Bible and review your history. There's a God in heaven and he can undo all this. He can give us victory and he can bless the church and stand it up on its feet in a mighty way. The third thing, he gives us the response of Habakkuk in chapter 3 is he prays for revival. Number two, he reviews the Bible. And number three, look at verse 17. He rejoices in the Lord. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, the olive tree fails, the fields yield no food, the flock is cut off from the field, there's no herds in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. Now that is awesome. You can have joy in your God when the fig tree, there's no fruit, there's no produce, there's no food from the fields, there's no flocks. I mean, that's like saying, I crashed my car today, my house burned down, my wife left me, uh, and uh, I lost my wallet with all my credit cards. So it's been a good day. Yet, yet I rejoice in the Lord. (laughs) If you have God, if you know the Lord, you can lose anything. You can even lose everything and you'll be all right. The just shall live by faith in God. That's what he's telling. That's what the message is for us in Habakkuk is folks, you just trust God. You trust God. No matter what happens, you have faith in God. I read this week of the duel in 1804 between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. By 1804, you still could have a duel, but there was a gentleman's agreement that you didn't actually shoot the person. You kind of shot into the ground. So kept your honor. So Aaron Burr was running for governor of New York and Alexander Hamilton, one of the founders of the country, said he's unfit. To which Aaron Burr took offense. So he challenged him to a duel. So they went out And Alexander Hamilton shot first, and most witnesses say he shot into the ground. But when Aaron Burr shot, he shot him in the torso and went into his liver. And Aaron Burr never achieved anything after that. But they took Alexander Hamilton to a second floor of a nearby home. And his wife, they went to get his wife, Eliza, And she rushed to his side. He had 24 hours after that. And she was sobbing because 
she adored him. They had eight children together. And he was a very successful man and they had a happy life. And he was her everything. And now he has 24 hours to live. And the last thing he said to her when she was at her head upon his, upon his bed, he reached his hand over on her head and said, Eliza, remember, you are a Christian. And I thought, you know, that is everything. If you can just remember, you're a Christian. You have the Lord. And you can put your faith in him. And you can walk through it and you'll not only live, but you will be saved. You will flourish. You will revive. The righteous shall flourish by faith. That's God's message. And he said, uh, Habakkuk, I want you to write it down because it's not just for you. It's for others so they can run and tell others. And that's my word to you this morning. Remember, you're a Christian. Amen. Let's pray. Ushers, would you come and as we worship with our tithes and offerings, we'll close out with a final song, but, but let's ask God's blessing as we worship Him today. Holy Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for this word of faith that truly we can face the future. God, grant to us great faith and help us today to remember we're different. We're Christians. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.